Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with our experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Mike Gagno. I'm Senior Director of Pharmacy Practice and Quality here at ASHP, and I'm responsible for pharmacy practice-related issues, including drug shortages, compounding, and hazardous drug safety. Joining me for today's episode is the incomparable Patty Keenly, Director of Accreditation and Medication Safety at Cardinal Health, and USP Compounding Expert Committee member. Patty was also recognized with the Harvey A.K. Whitney Lecture Award during our recent summer meetings in Phoenix. We're going to be talking about the newly published USP chapters and what our listeners can expect in the coming months. Welcome, Patty, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Okay, so we finally have updated chapters. Patty, these chapters have been in the process of being revised for years. Most recently, they were published as final versions, they were appealed, remanded to the expert committee and work kind of started over again. But we finally have new chapters again. They are on track to become official. And at a high level, what can you tell us about the revisions? Well, I think everybody's been waiting for these for a number of years, right? So from a 795 perspective for non-sterile compounding, I think the biggest issues that probably affect us in health systems are the defined space that is there. And pretty much everybody has that, but just need to make sure that it meets what those criteria are in there. And then the only PPE specifics that are there is the requirement for gloves, which most of us have been doing for years. But 797 does have some differences that are there from the chapter that we've had since 2008. So that's a long time. And I hope that people who are listening have also been accessing the USP committee meetings, which were public for the last couple of years when all of the discussion was around there. So you may know all of this, and it's certainly been in the best practices piece for a number of years. I put things, you know, I like to put things in small buckets. I have four buckets for these changes for 797. Facilities, training, environmental monitoring, and beyond use dates. So just real high level from a facilities perspective, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because we've been talking about this for years, but you really have two options. You have a clean room suite which is at least two separate rooms, an anteroom and at least one buffer room, or you can have a segregated compounding area. But just so people are aware, folks who have had a combined anti-buffer area in one room, that is no longer considered a compounding suite. You are likely to be able to meet the segregated compounding area requirements for that. But the difference there is your ability to need to use the lower, the shorter beyond use times for those. The other thing we need to keep in mind is we've all been kicking around the term isolator for years, but really what we use in compounding is a compounding isolator, not a pharmaceutical isolator. So in order to use the full BUDs going forward, those compounding isolators need to be in a clean room suite. And again, otherwise you can probably meet the requirements for a segregated compounding area. So those are the two big things there. From an environmental monitoring perspective, people need to know that it's really the same type of monitoring, air and surface that's occurring, but surface sampling has to be done monthly. So it's unlikely that your certifier, which is what most places have been using to do the every six months, 
environmental monitoring, it's unlikely that they'd be able to do that on a monthly basis. So think of how you're going to play this out. You need an incubator, or at least you need incubator space. Perhaps your micro department can handle that, but they may not be resourced to do that either. So think of that need. You're going to need the appropriate media to use, and you're going to need a microbiologist in case those results are out of spec or above the action level. From a training perspective, know that there's a very distinction between the initial training and the requalification training. And requalification now has to be every six months, not every 12 months. And in addition to the media film and glove fingertip tests that we've been doing for years, there's also a need to do a single surface sample in that process, which gives you a whole picture of the competency of whoever you're checking for compounding. The media fill showing that that person can aseptically compound, the glove fingertip showing that they can keep their own asepsis going, and that surface sample to demonstrate that they can keep that area clean. So that all kind of plays up to the the last big bucket in, in my consideration of the beyond use dates. The risk levels that we've been dealing with for years, that low, medium, and high risk go away. And that changes the categories of compounding. So category one, you can think of it as what you do in a segregated compounding area. And the beyond use dates actually increase on that. We're now allowed up to 24 hours refrigerated. Category two, which is what most people will probably be doing. And you have to think of the beyond use dates as maximum beyond use dates, not defaults, because there might be reasons that you need less than this. But where low has been allowed 14 days and medium has been allowed nine days, because those risk levels go away, we have to come up with one time. So that time for a beyond use date is 10 days. So overall, I think those are the big issues that people need to be aware of with the revised chapter. Yeah, some good updates and some good information. And I think, you know, we got a kind of a sneak preview of some of the beyond use dates and the considerations for compounding during COVID-19. And of course, we saw these in the previous chapters, some of the similar beyond use dates. So like you said, a lot of this shouldn't really be that much of a surprise, but let's talk about the official date. Can you tell us about the official date for the chapters and what it means for our listeners? Do you think regulators and state boards of pharmacy and, and accreditors like the Joint Commission are going to be ready to go on day one of the official date? Well, whenever a USP chapter is either new or revised, that publication date, there's always at least a six-month time period between the publication date and when it becomes official. Now, in this case, we're seeing an extension of that. We're seeing it go up to a year out. So people have a little bit more time to be able to be sure they're compliant with things. Other issues like state boards of pharmacy, many state boards have already incorporated some or all of these requirements in the state regulations. And accreditation organizations have done that as well because they can use their existing standards, many of which overlap with the information in 795 and 797. So they have already started to do some of that. So I mentioned that the previous final chapters were appealed, both 795, 797, 825 were all appealed. Can you talk a little bit about the work the expert committee did in response to the appeals? I know there was some stakeholder engagement. And how do the chapters look different than the appealed versions? Primary reason they were appealed was based on beyond use times and beyond use dates. And it was largely not so much health system issues, but the community compounders who need longer dates in order to fill prescriptions for patients. So the committee looked at this 
and went through every one of those issues multiple times by multiple people. There were a lot, as you mentioned, a lot of stakeholder engagement, and much of this was public. And I hope the folks listening had an opportunity to listen into some of those. But I can assure you that the committee and all of the USP staff really went over these extensively. And the folks who did the appeals, the appellants, were involved in those discussions as well. Yeah, it was a great process. And I know I, along with several ASHP members, were engaged in participating in not just the appeals process and the stakeholder engagement, but we really saw an uptick in the number of ASHP members who were listening in as the comments were reviewed on the the most recent proposed revisions. So really, I think the chapters are strengthened through more stakeholder engagement, be it through listening in on comments or through official stakeholder engagement opportunities. So what do you think, Patty? Do you think these could be appealed again? Well, there's obviously that opportunity to do that. So we have a short period of time that the appeals process can come in and we'll know at the end of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're referring to a 60-day window. I did look at the updated bylaws and for the 2020 to 2025 convention, and they do address appeals as did the previous, but it looks like the process is a little more complete where Whoever appeals will, of course, have their ability to make their case, but it looks like on the USP side, it's a little more concrete as to the actions that need to be taken. And, you know, it may or may not delay the the official date if there are appeals, but stay tuned to uh, ASHP. We'll keep you updated as soon as we hear anything more. There's one more major update, I think, that comes with these two chapters, and I'd like to talk for a minute about USP Chapter 800. It's been in limbo for a few years now. It's finally official. It's been official, but it's not, it's considered not compendially applicable until the official dates for these chapters. Um, So now that these chapters are scheduled to become official, what does that mean for chapter 800? Both chapter 800 and 825, which deals with radio pharmaceuticals, will become enforceable, federally enforceable, or compendially applicable is the USP term that's used when either 795 or 797 is revised. And the reason for that is, you know, think back on the timeline of this, 800 has actually been an official chapter since February of 2016. But because it wasn't mentioned in another chapter, that's why this sort of limbo position came up. But we have to remember 800 is there for our protection. And many places and several state boards as well have already begun to implement that. And you know, I, I hope those protection issues, that the ability to keep us free from the contamination of hazardous drugs is certainly important from a pharmacy perspective as well as anybody who compounds or administers chemo. So I hope that people have been complying with that and moving along there, but it will become compendially applicable when 795 or 797 become official. I think the whole compendially applicable thing was kind of confusing for most of us. We always learned that a chapter below 1,000 was considered official and enforceable, and then it looked like the general notices or something was revised somewhere to to insert that linkage that you mentioned. So it has to be linked to another chapter in a way that that makes it official. And until these revisions, you know, 800 wasn't linked. Well, thanks for the insight on that, Patty. I know you're passionate about hazardous drug safety. Um, So it would be interesting to see as as we finally move toward implementation uh, and enforcement of 800. But I I share your, your hope that given the you know, we're talking about worker safety. Hopefully, we've a lot of sites have been taking these chapters seriously. And, and we know that from national survey data and from other sources that a lot of sites have already implemented 800. 
Well, I'm going to turn it over to you for any final thoughts, Patty. Anything else about the revisions you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, I just think that, you know, this is a living document and we've we've waited a long time for the update for these, particularly with 797, as all of the technologies changed and what we know and how we our work practices, things like that. So it's a living document and, you know, things will be revised again. Uh, certainly we need some some time to to get this done, but if anybody has particular things that they need, they think need to be addressed either in a chapter or even some other topic, USP has an, an open opportunity for you to provide those comments to them. And they, they're taken very seriously as the new chapters and the new committees are developed and even expert panels that are there. So there's lots of opportunities to participate in USP activities. It's interesting you mentioned technology. It's one of the areas that I think there is room for further growth in uh, in the compounding chapters and establishing standards. So good thoughts. We appreciate that. Well, that's all the time we have today. I'd really like to thank Patty Keenly for joining us to discuss the updated USP compounding chapters 795 and 797. Don't miss more content on the updated USP chapters at the upcoming mid-year clinical meeting. I'll be joined by USP expert committee member, Kevin Hansen and director of medication management chapters at the Joint Commission, Robert Campbell, to discuss these updates and what they mean for health systems. Uh, That'll include chapter 800, as you heard, that now becomes enforceable. What does that mean for your next Joint Commission survey? Well, come in to our session Sunday, December 4th from 3.30 to 4.45 to find out. And if you haven't before, I encourage you to check out ASHP's online resources. You can find member exclusive offerings such as the Preceptor Toolkit, Resource Center, and more. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Hot Topics in Pharmacy. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to subscribe to the ASHP official podcast for more great content. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.